0: You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International
1: Affairs. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. My name is Martin Krog. I'm the head of the Russia and Eurasia program here at the Institute. And it's my great pleasure to introduce our speaker uh, today, Dr. Uh, Alexei Gramika, uh, who is the director of the Institute of Europe of the Russian Academy of Sciences. Um, Gromyka is uh, probably well known to many of you in the auditorium. He is uh, the author of numerous books and articles, uh, specializing uh, in particular on um, uh, European politics, uh, the Bri- uh, the British political system, and uh, Russian-European relations. Uh, but today he will speak also more broadly on the topic uh, Russia, Europe, and the crisis of global order. Uh, Gromyka, it's great pleasure to have you here and uh, please you will have about 30 minutes or so at your disposal after which we enter into the more informal questions and answers
0: it is an uh, uh, honor for me and thank you for the uh, invitation Mr Moderator and uh, Mr Director I think that uh, uh, whatever we try to analyze or to say mm, about uh, the current times and uh, about the modern world and about uh, uh, the present um, could be uh, uh, characterized as uh, uncertainty. Uh, And uh, (coughs) we face this uncertainty on a daily basis. Uh, When uh, uh, in the morning, uh, today I was leaving my room uh, in the hotel, I uh, came across a cleaner and i told her good morning and she replied tomorrow uh so uh, sh- she was not local so she uh, confused uh, uh, some the words but <laughs> uh, it was symbolic for me you know that uh <laughs> uncertainty uh, is so uh, is so high and uh, uh somebody p- thinks that we live uh, I- in the world of the 19th century somebody prefers to stay in the twi- in the 20th uh, century and somebody thinks that we live in the 21st uh, century although still uh, I believe that uh, um, the 20th uh, century was not a short century like uh, we used to call it but in fact it turned out to be a long century because uh, not all of them, but uh, quite a lot of problems which we have on our hands these days is the legacy of uh, of the last century, not something which, uh, uh, which um, was, well, from scratch, uh, sta- uh, starting from the beginning of the last decade. So uh, let me make s- uh, several general observations uh, on the configuration of forces uh, in the world, and then to mm, uh, speak in more length on uh, what many people call now implying different things, uh, a concept or an idea or something what pretends to be a a concept or even a reality, uh, a new Cold War, Uh, 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 and um, the last part, of uh, of my talk, what uh, Russians uh, like to uh, ponder on is uh, what's to be done. What what uh, should we do? Uh, so um, a few uh, words on uh, strategic thinking, because it, it seems to me that uh, what we are going to uh, discuss now is not something what can be settled uh, in uh, several days' time, or even in several years' time, but what uh, requires a long-term approach of Russia, of the European uh, Union, the United States, China, and uh, uh, other uh, countries and uh, um, organizations. So uh, I would like to touch upon strategic thinking a bit And uh, uh, to start with uh, a statement that strategic thinking, from my point of view, is a a leading element of uh, uh, success in world uh, affairs of any major state or power. Uh, And of course, nobody has a monopoly on strategic thinking, but uh, only p- major states or great powers, as we used to uh, call them, have the means not only to design uh, a strategy but to uh, implement it. Uh, and uh, it has nothing to do how big is your country in quantitative or qualitative terms. Um, a country of any size can play these days a significant, or maybe a key role in international relations. Uh, But uh, only a handful of states have a capacity to harness a full spectrum of hard and soft power, which make them the transregional and uh, uh, global players. And uh, it seems to me that uh, the United States, China, and uh, Russia, uh, to some extent, are obvious members of this club. Uh, At the same time, it is clear that uh, a success in implementing uh, strategic thinking is not given. It is not guaranteed. Um, The whole uh, political history is an example of uh The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers, if to uh, uh, learn from the title of the book by uh, Kennedy, The Rise and Fall of the Great uh, Powers, written in the, as far as I uh, remember, in 1986, Um, uh, but uh, only few Uh, of great powers, as we know them in the 18th or 19th century, have managed to avoid this iron law of uh, history and to retain this uh, status. A lot of great powers nowadays are considered themselves to be a middle powers or small uh, powers, and some uh, countries um, do not exist at all. In the 21st century, those states uh, who survive or who are emerging as uh, major powers, uh, of course, will be uh, uh, tested again by the rough seas of geopolitics. And of course, their commanding heights will be contested by new pretenders. And uh, uh, among their ranks, a towering position is held by China, which uh, dwarfs in its ca- in its capacity all other fast rising powers. Um I think that the new times are uh, as demanding and uh, challenging as uh, never before and in uh, order to sustain uh the status of uh Grandia, uh an uh international actor should uh, not so much impose but attract uh, to lead by uh, to lead by example A- uh, and to make it easier for others to uh, cooperate with it rather than to oppose it. Um, the globalized world has ma- has made it uh, impossible at least this is my view has made it impossible to revive the pattern of superpowers. But at the same time, uh, the same world has eased restraints on claims to join the club of uh, major states. Uh, There is also a a unique feature of contemporary world uh, affairs. Um, Apart from the traditional global players, uh, initially empires and later nation states, uh, the world has witnessed and attempt to invent a subject of international uh, relations of uh, a new, supranational nature. Uh, So the European Union, since uh, its inception in uh, 1957, has grown into one of the leading global players. However, its uh, ambitions still are not supported by a necessary strategic tool and uh, that is why the uh, eu came forward with the global strategy uh in june 2016 uh, with the pillar of this strategy the idea of strategic autonomy at present the eu status uh as a major uh, power uh is more a derivative of uh foreign policy of its leading member states than uh, uh, its own supranational ability. Whatever whatever the uh, intention of the EU to create its own genuine foreign policy and uh, pursue its own global strategy can be be realized, from my point of view is one of the main uh, intrigues of the modern times. And we are going to discover if our expectations are too high uh, or moderately high uh, in the next 10 years. Um, so we have a certain uh, combination of uh, world powers, either existing or uh, emerging. Now I am not discussing if uh, some of them are o- on the upward curve or on downward uh, curve. This is a different topic, but still uh, what uh, defines uh, the interaction at least of several of uh, 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 transregional or global centers of power and uh, influence uh, is uh, something what uh, about uh, five or six years uh, ago was called a new Cold War. And uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, this is quite a uh, well thought through and deeply rooted uh, concept uh although from my point of view it is totally wrong uh, and uh, hollow, but I would like to speak on this point because now it occupies the minds of, uh, if not millions, then of thousands of people, and many of them are policy makers. So for me, uh, it seems to be very uh, important for the present and for the, pu- and for the future of our, our continent to sort out what uh, is implied by a new uh, Cold War and what we should do with this way of uh, thinking. So um, I will start with uh, uh, that Russia and uh, the West have uh, every reason to help the world uh, leave the zone of uh, what is called grand destabilization. Uh, And uh, the terms on which this dangerous zone we we should leave, I would describe as constructive polycentricity. Um, the most important task of the world's leading uh, centers of influence is to find modus uh, operandi, which would be a- uh, adequate to global challenges, uh, and then modus vivendi, uh, anchoring structural competition in the form of Cold War II or a new Cold War would be an attempt to recreate obsolete thinking. Uh, Such entrenchment akin to the worst period of the Cold War, I mean from the late uh, 1940s up to the Caribbean or Cuban crisis in 1962, uh, meaning uh, deterrence by threat is particularly dangerous. Well, in other words, this kind of structural competition is a repetition of that period of uh, uh, the Cold War, which uh, pushed the world to the brink uh, of uh, a Third World War. Uh, This type of the Cold War is not so much a um, uh, frozen conflict, this initial period uh, of the Cold War, but It was more a deferred, hot conflict. Uh, It never heated up because the uh, Soviet Union and the United States were poorly equipped to calculate the risks of exchanging nuclear strikes, even with uh, asymmetric strategic arsenals and in the absence of strategic in the 50s and uh, in the 60s. As we remember, the catastrophe was uh, avoided, was averted due to the common sense of two persons, Nikita Khrushchev and John Kennedy, with the support, of course, of their uh, uh, diplomatic services. Um, If the conditions of the initial and the most uh, dangerous period of the Cold War are recreated, who can guarantee that the common sense will again prevail in a critical moment? Uh, The second period of the Cold War, uh, characterized by detente in the 70s, was uh, something what uh, many these days try to use as a certain sample, as a certain uh, example to uh, follow. Dayton um, they they t- became uh, possible under unique conditions of a balanced uh, bipolarity that uh, emerged after the Cuban uh, crisis but uh, was gone with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Can uh, uh, any sort of bipolarity reemerge? emerge uh, From my point of view, there is little evidence that uh, history will follow this route again. Justifying acceptability of a new co- uh, Cold War, one can point out that the hot war was, uh, was ultimately prevented. Or one can point out to the fact that uh, there is still a certain strategic parity between Russia and the United States, and the two leading nuclear powers continue to adhere to the doctrine of mutual assured destruction. Therefore, the argument goes, it should be not so dangerous to play the Cold War uh, over again. Again from my point of view, the futility of such reasoning lies uh, in the fact that the big bomb, unlike in the past, no longer safeguards the world against a major war. Uh, The threat of uh, uncontrolled escalation is uh, increasing. The risks of dangerous conflicts between major states uh, directly or through involvement uh, in conflicts on the world periphery acquire new quality. Why? The weakening of non-proliferation regime, the acquisition of nuclear weapons by unstable states, the development of new high-precision weapons, the uh, destruction of the ABM uh, regime, intentions of international terrorism, uh, including in the territories of uh, nuclear states, uh, and uh, uh, the last but not the uh, least, the rapid development of cyber offensive technologies. Under these circumstances, structural competition in the form of a new Cold War uh, would only stimulate the destructive processes in international uh, relations. On the other hand, uh, competition based on what I call constructive polycentrism would give Russia, China, the European Union and the United States and other players the opportunity to reduce uh, risks of regional and global conflicts and to develop their competitive advantages within the framework of binding rules and international law. A new modus vivendi would give them the opportunity to develop multiple forms of, of interaction w- uh, without, uh, while recognizing each other's core strategic I- uh, interests. And uh, the last part of my uh, short talk is on what's to be done. Um, So uh, in the long and complicated history of the Cold War, uh, we know that the escalation had its uh, uh, peaks and uh, uh, troughs. One of the profound uh, achievements of peacemaking uh, in that times was the final act of the uh, Conference on uh, Security and, co- and, co- and Cooperation in Europe, signed in Helsinki in 1975. Uh, that was the highest por- uh, point of Dayton and uh, the e- uh, embodiment of uh, new modus vivendi, first of all, in the relationship between the Soviet Union and the United States. Uh, strategic stability was uh, uh, embedded in this fundamental international treaty. And later due to Helsinki uh, process Europe got uh, its uh, most numerous organization, the OSCE. Uh, The Helsinki Treaty from my point of view has not become outdated. For example, judging from the high uh, demand uh of the uh, oec especially after the beginning of the ukrainian crisis moreover the course of uh, events has put into sharp into sharp relief the uh, necessity of a new big treaty which uh, usually uh, people call helsinki 2 uh, the the idea to reconfirm the principles of 1975 and of uh, ensuing 1990 Paris Charter taking into account huge historical changes which uh, have taken time since 1975, from my point of view is p- something what, uh, uh, what, uh, da- what does worth to be pay attention to. And it is not about copying a certain example in history, but about uh, uh, reapplying fundamental principles of the uh, balance of interest, compromise, mutually beneficial solutions, based, of course, on uh, on international law and on the supremacy of the UN Charter. In the absence of any uh, positive signs in this sphere, the spillover of a new arms race into nuclear domain uh, is a stark reality. Um, Several attempts, at least since the beginning of uh, this century, uh, have been made in the direction of Helsinki II. For example, in 2008, Russia proposed to conclude what is called the European Security Treaty. Uh, In 2009, the OSCE launched what is called the Corfu process. In 2010, Russia and Germany put forward what is called the Meseberg Initiative. Uh, Providing that the political will is uh, expressed, there, of course, can be different uh, modalities of... Helsinki 2 it can be uh, for example a, pern- a permanent conference uh, covering all four baskets of Helsinki 1975 or it can concentrate on uh, political military issues uh, taking into consideration ur- urgency of the escalation in this particular sphere uh, Participants of such a permanent conference can be both states and international organizations, um, which of course uh, should be provided with a proper mandate. Uh, I would like to remind that the Helsinki Final Act was signed by 35 states. Uh, Potentially, a number of participants of Helsinki II can be much higher in view of a sharp increase in the number of states in uh, Europe uh, after the breakup of the Soviet Union. However, it uh, does not mean that all of these states uh, should be expected to join the, co- the uh, conference from the beginning or to join it at all. Uh, on the basis of the speed principle, mu- uh, speed principle, which is so well known in the European uh, Union the initiative can be launched by a coalition of the willing uh those states which uh, or organizations which intend uh to make this process as inclusive as uh, possible a, a host nation of such a conference uh can be one of uh, internationally recognized states mediators we have su- several states of this kind in Europe, which played uh, a very um, significant and sometimes crucial role in the escalation uh, in the second half of the last century. Uh, Among arguments of critics of of Helsinki II is the the reference to the existing uh, treaties Uh, international documents, like the UN Charter, the Final uh, Act, the uh, Paris Charter, etc., etc. Indeed, uh, uh, numerous recognized principles of international behavior have been proclaimed uh, at different moments in in history. However, their interpretation by now uh, vary very much and new historical circumstances dwell upon us, as well as new challenges and problems uh, have emerged. If mutual claims and counterclaims mount and tension rise, then what should do responsible players? They should be able to meet and to conduct structural and serious dialogue. Another argument is uh, that prior to negotiations, the opposite sides should comply with certain conditions. Well, as a t- result, we get a vicious circle of, conflict of conflicting parties unable to talk with, I- with e- each other. Uh, in the past, key international treaties were concluded after major wars, including the two world wars. And this was defined uh, nations victorious and defeated. But it seems to me that under present circumstances, it is almost impossible to expect any major center of power, uh, especially uh, uh, any permanent member of the United Nations uh, Security Council to admit its defeat or to yield to any kind of uh, uh, ultimatums. Therefore, in practice, to put forward preliminary uh, conditions is, in effect, to torpedo the settlement of international uh, disputes through uh, dialogue. Uh, I, uh, I believe that common sense and extremely dangerous situation in the sphere of arms race and strategic stability Um, dictates the necessity to long uh, such kind of a dialogue among coalition of the willing in the spirit of uh, Helsinki. Uh, uh, Of course it is highly desirable that uh, all states in the space from Vancouver to Vladivostok uh, participate in this endeavor. However, in the near future, it would be unreal to expect such an idealistic scenario to prevail. Uh, At the same time, to wait for a right moment to arrive one day in the future uh, is to let uh, chances of a new big war grow. So the states which suffered most from the conflicts in the 20th uh, uh, century probably or perhaps should bear the responsibility for initiating a new permanent conference on European uh, security. And I hope uh, very much that uh, in the following five years, uh, uh, something similar to this uh, idea will meddle through. Thank you.
1: thank you for a very uh, interesting and 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 thick uh, analytically thick uh, presentation um before we move over into the uh, informal q and a's um maybe i'll just use the moderator's uh, prerogative to, to to ask the first question um you mentioned uh, in your concluding remarks the um uh, the helsinki accord of 1975 um and th- th- this is also an issue that has been raised by uh, by a few Russian uh, officials and politicians in the last years. And if you could, if it's possible to speculate maybe a little bit on uh, a new accord, uh, according to sort of a Russian ID, uh, what, what would be the difference between...
0: Thank you for the question. Uh as I mentioned in my talk, the uh accord the first accord in Helsinki was signed in 1975. The current world is hugely different from the from the world back in 1975. So uh it seems to me that uh it is quite logical uh to come back to those uh t- principles which uh Leading uh, powers uh, succeeded in elaborating back there uh, and try to assess how do we interpret it and uh, uh, how we can u- uh, how we can use it for finding a new uh, modus operandi and then new modus uh, vivendi. Uh, and I would like to remind you that. Uh uh the he- the he- the helsinki uh, process was launched by uh, the soviet union uh the first uh, uh the first time when uh, uh unofficially but on a very high level the soviet union tested the ground for uh, what later was called helsinki process was in 1966 in 1966, uh, s- uh, the foreign minister of the Soviet Union, Andrei uh, Gromyko, traveled to Italy. And he had a meeting with Aldo Moro. Uh, they met many times and, and were on a very good footing. Uh, and uh, that was the first time when uh, uh, unofficially, but on a very high p- level, uh, the Soviet foreign minister p- discussed the idea of a pan-European conference uh, on security so uh it took quite a, a long time from 66 to uh, set to set to 75 and there were many hurdles uh one of the uh, highest one was uh, uh overcame in 1970 the famous moscow treaty uh between russia and uh, uh, west germany so let's presume that uh, in 66, 67 or later, when the Soviet Union was putting forward and testing this uh, idea, uh, somebody could say, look, why should we need to come again to the principles which are embedded in the Charter of the United Nations? Because most principles which w- which you can find in the Helsinki Treaty the same, like in the UN Charter. So uh, it seems to me that for nowadays we have uh, a situation a bit similar to the previous one. Okay, we have some international treaties, but uh, uh, we see that uh, that this situation is <laughs> getting out of hand. So what re- uh, responsible parties should do? They should they they uh, they should sit and uh, ne- and negotiate. And uh, not just for the sake of negotiating, uh, but for the sake of the, the region where t- we live. So, uh, uh, still, I am a very ardent uh, adherent of the idea uh, of a new security system. And it seems to me there are very few serious uh, politicians who would say that Europe uh, does not need a security system which would embrace all states on the uh, continent, including the permanent members of the UN Security uh, Council. But uh, if we agree uh, on the basics that such kind of a system sooner or later should uh, uh, emerge, how it is possible to achieve this point in time, if not to uh, negotiate firstly on principles, their modern interpretation, and later on technicalities. Thank you. Thank you. Find us on www.ui.se. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden and we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.